Okay, turn to, back to Colossians tonight. And... I hope to next, my expectation is to start Revelation next week. Um, but this chapter in Colossians, or this passage in chapter 2, beginning at verse 16, I think you'll see tonight, was really wasn't one I wanted to tackle in a morning service. Um, Paul gets into a lot more of the details of the practices that these false teachers are trying to impress upon the believers as alternate experiences additional to their faith in Christ. And they seem to be pretty adamant about it. Um, and there's a lot of details about this that as, as we continue, as we look at this tonight, it just as we hear these different descriptions, it, it may not bring us to a sense of, of readiness of worship. In these things, it's important, and we're going to go through. And actually, we're getting kind of because it's a Sunday evening. I'm going to ask you to be thinking ahead. We'll kind of almost treat this like a workshop. And that is, as we're going through this passage, I want you to think about how we can, what we can practically apply, what Paul is saying here and describing with this group to our, to what we um, face. And our situation, our life situation today. Um, and that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but um, I think we're up for it. So, hold on a second here. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 16. And remember from this morning, just as a reminder, Paul is emphasizing our need to depend on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for all things, and not to be persuaded to trust in anything else. Because trust in any power or personality besides Jesus leads us to be captives. It leaves us vulnerable to captivity and the enemy's devices. And he described then how the work of Christ in us is fully effective for victorious spiritual living. And we went through that this morning. Through the resurrection of Christ, we have all that we need for victory. So I think, you know, as Paul continues here, he's, you can maybe sense a little bit of his frustration after that beautiful description of all our victory in Christ. He says, guys, you're still being tempted by things that are so much far, are far less inferior and worthless. And his concern is that they're not even tempted by these things that he's going to mention in these. Uh, the practices now of the false teachers who are peddling these philosophies to distract believers from their walk with Christ. And his point is, in this passage, really from verse 16 to 23, is the substantial nature, the substance of our life in Christ is superior, fully superior to the shadows of these false religions. You could even say cults and secular philosophies. While saying, don't buy any of that junk. <laughs> Believe in the substance, the substantial spiritual nature um, and sustenance. Substantial sustenance, that's a good description of our relationship with Christ. You know, in our, in our broader Christian culture, I still think as far as what Paul's addressing and the weakness that 
Christianity tends to have. There are those that find satisfaction with all kinds of self-help gurus, talk show hosts, and all kinds of different things where it, they, they, they um, provide a motivation to just do this and to try this and all these things. And you can make your life happier and you can make your life more positive and all these things. I, I'm thankful that our church ministry here, we do have a group of seasoned saints that are not as drawn to those types of things. But in broader Christianity, even some of the things that I mentioned last week about some of the talk show hosts that I know many Christians get enamored by, and they, they buy all of this in, the self-help and, and um, you know, how even our culture turns things upside down. Um, and makes a high priority about following rules and regulations that really aren't that big of a deal. Um, you, you can probably think of politics, right? And a lot of um, the political scene in our world today are making big deals about things that aren't a big deal. Fossil fuels. And now if, if some of you are excited about green energy, okay, that's fine. But it shouldn't be like the main focus. You shouldn't look at that and say, if I'm following after, I'm just giving an example here. I'm a green energy expert, and, and I really believe in that because that's what's going to keep our world together, and it's going to save the planet. Okay, now you're getting a little bit too much into it. Salvation doesn't come from man and his green energy policies. It comes from Jesus Christ. But you, that's just one example of ways people, even Christians, can get sucked into this. Replacing other things with dependence on Christ. So Paul is going to give us some um, specific aspects of this. And he's going to refer to them as shadows. So, so I'm going to call this tonight choosing. You know how they say, um, I think there, it's a phrase, choosing shadow over substance. Ah, that, that person's shadow over substance. They're not real. Why well, turn that around? Choose substance over the shadows. Choose substance over shadow. And you'll see these words in this passage tonight. In other words, follow, depend upon the real thing, not the inferior, not the shadows of things. Because shadows distract and they have no power to help. Let's just read the first 16 through 19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Really, that means type of false humility, insincere humility. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, of course, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Father, as we look at this intriguing passage, as Paul gives details about really the ridiculous things that these false teachers and self-help philosophers we're trying to impress upon your people. Let us be reminded that we need to be careful about following anything that is empty, about um, being attracted or entranced by anything for our eternal hope or for our hope in 
independence other than Jesus Christ. Lord, some of these things tonight, as we look to them, may sound weird, but we have our own weird things in our culture today that we tend to rely upon rather than Christ. Let this be a reminder that he is the full, he is all the substantial um, spiritual need or, or help that can meet our needs. That we have all, he's all sufficient for what we need. Let us be and continue to uh, have that impressed upon our hearts as we look through this passage. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is concerned that these teachers are impressing or promoting shadow over the substance of our relationship with Christ. And so, first of all, we're going to see in verses 16 through 19, and we might just stop there at the end of verse 19. We'll see how this goes. But shadows distract us from dependence in Christ. And these shadows are inferior to our life in Christ. And Paul now gives more details. He gave us an idea earlier of the philosophy. Not much. Now, he still has been vague. And again, I think that's partly because he didn't want these folks. He didn't want to, again, point and uh, reveal too much and um, have these folks, their interest peaked by giving too much information about these false teachings. So he gave us just kind of a quick overview on what they believed. And now he's going to go into more detail on what they practice. So the warning here is in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And he's warning the believers of the Church of Colossae here, don't allow yourselves to be judged or condemned by these teachers because you're not following all their rituals and rules and works. Um, and then he goes into these, and these may seem a little foreign to us, uh, a little a little general here, well, food and, and drink, well, what specifics? Well, we're not given that. But then regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, these same things sound kind of strange to our ears. But really what Paul seems to be referencing here are Jewish observances and the concerns of food and drink of the different festivals. And as you know, and as if you're a student of Scripture and if you know anything about how the Jews um, uh live their lives today, there's a lot of festivities involved. There's a lot of celebrations that are on our calendars many times. And they're involved in that. And that's neither right nor wrong. They're also uh, very careful still, in many cases, to uh, observe the Sabbath as well. And so it does seem that in the midst of the secular philosophies that are being promoted, they've also been synchronized with Jewish uh, observances as well. And to impress these upon the people, that in reality, to really get the most out of your relationship with Christ, you need to follow after these things too. Paul says, no, don't you let anybody pass judgment on you, condemn you, um, because you don't follow, because I have not insisted that you follow, that Christ has not insisted that you follow these things. Um, let's look a little more closely. Regard to a festival, again, 
uh, you can think, we won't go into all the different celebrations uh, that the Jews have throughout the year, uh, but you can certainly, the, the Feast of the Booze, Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover itself, the Passover week, um, Hanukkah, uh, and all of these different things that they uh, they um, celebrate on a regular basis. And we're not saying, Paul's not being necessarily negative about that, but these teachers are saying that you need, that you must observe these special days, or perhaps you may face condemnation. You, you may not, in fact, and there's, there's probably, in the, using that word, he may be very well saying um, that these teachers are calling into question the very status of these Christians as believers, because they won't follow after these things that they're impressing upon them. And of course, we understand that's wrong. But the second thing is interesting, a new moon. Well, what's that? What's going on with that? Well, we really don't know a lot about this, but it is mentioned in the Old Testament that there was a new moon um, observance, and it came with uh, celebration and some, um, some eating together and some different things. We're not told a lot about it. I believe, if I remember correctly, I remember Saul was concerned when David missed their gathering together for the new moon festival, uh, it's mentioned, um, and I think it's still practiced in some ways in Jewish culture today. But again, it's one of these festivals um, that isn't necessarily right or wrong. But in this case with the new moon, it does seem like God's people in particular were tempted to get into worship of the creation, like um, Paul has mentioned before, maybe even worshiping things like the stars and the moon. Well, where do you get that, Pastor Brock? We'll turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 4, where God gives a warning in the midst of all these festivals and things. Don't worship the creation as the pagans do. Deuteronomy 4, verse 19. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. The creation that God has given you to admire and to be in awe of. Well, enjoy it. Don't worship it. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. God has done all of these things. So focus on him. Thank him for all these things. Don't fall prey to worshiping things like the moon and the stars and, and all of this. And um, then you it's interesting that God gives this warning because by the time we get to 2 Kings 23, you could turn there. We don't have to, verses 4 through 5. It does seem like the people have given way to this temptation to actually worship the moon as they're worshiping Baal and other involved in other idol worship. And uh, King Josiah comes along. We don't have time to give the full story here, but remember, as the books of the law are found, Josiah is um, overcome with grief that the people, that they have not been following God's law. And so he uh, institutes a series of reforms to bring the people back to where they should be. 
2 Kings 23, 4 and 5. And the king, that's Josiah, commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, and for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. They're worshiping, um, they, maybe these are spiritual beings, or um, the stars, the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the city of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal and to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heaven. God knew what he was warning his people for about uh, because they did fall prey to this temptation. And it seems now in one sense or another, um, these, these religious uh, teachers that are teaching this false, these false works um, are Jewish in nature, or they've synchronized this with some Jewish thinking. And it's, in other words, it seems as if Paul's dealing with the same sort of thing, that there's some sort of worship of the moon involved with these festivals as well. And maybe it's uh, the fact, just thinking through this, that what Paul's dealing with is that, remember in Galatians how concerned Paul was that these um, supposed Jewish believers were adding works to faith in Christ. Well, maybe by the time Paul is writing this, some of these um, Jewish false teachers have kind of um, grown or added to, to try to make more attractive their beliefs by adding pagan rituals and secular philosophies to this along with their rules. And so for whatever reason, I know it sounds strange to us today, how could God's people fall for that? But they were. They were being intrigued by this. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't let anyone feel make you feel like you're not a true believer because you're not following these works-related things. And then he makes it clear um, in verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, this is what he's saying. All those rules and regulations that um, came from Jewish observances, yes, in the Old Testament, God gave his people some of those things to uh, for his purposes, but those are inferior religious shadows from the past. We're in a superior age. We're in the age of the new covenant. And um, basically, I lost, hold on a second here. Um, Paul is saying that now God's people, we don't have to go back to the past and follow all that ritual. To follow all the, we're, we're, we're not, um, we're dead to the things of the law. We're not required to follow the ceremonial law that God gave to his people back then. We have something, something superior. What is that? God's people can enjoy the full substance that it refers to there of a relationship with Jesus Christ and each other in the church, because it's interesting that word for substance actually is the word for body. And it seems Paul is saying here, don't follow after those rituals of the past. That's old school. We don't have to follow that anymore. Christ has come. He's died. He's resurrected. We have the substance 
we uh, we have the joy of being able to live in union with Christ and experience fellowship and community in the body of Christ. What we have is so superior. Don't follow after shadows. Follow after the substantial things. Union with Christ, fellowship with believers, and relationship with each other in the church. Those are the substantial things now. All Not all these additions and all these extra rules and things like this. Um, I know that we probably have all had times in our lives where, you know, we realize at some point maybe that we need to have some diet changes. You ever had that in your family? I know that, you know, uh, that even as I've gotten older, um, some things that, that I enjoy, especially um, – number of years ago, you know, working with teens, you kind of give yourself an excuse to kind of do and eat what they eat and drink what they drink. And I that went overboard on that for, for many years. And my wife was very patient with me on that. Uh, but there came a point where I was realizing this, I, I'm even though my wife is a wonderful cook and she's making all these wonderful, nutritious meals, I'm, um, I'm canceling out some of that benefit by this other stuff that I'm allowing into my body and eating. So um, I, I really need to focus on eating more substantially and, and not all the um, nutritionless things like soda and sweets and all of those things. Well, we also, we have some friends, we have some uh, family who I, I think back as far as, um, their diet habits that they 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 live such a busy life that they're hardly ever home. Um, they don't eat very well. It's a lot of takeout and a lot of pizza and a lot of different things. And uh, when they go home, they're they're hungry and it's late and they they um, go to snacks and things. And it's like um, throughout their daily their 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 walk and their daily walk and their week as they're busy about things. They're always reaching for the less substantial food that's not really a benefit to them, and they never really get the nutrition that they need. And maybe you know somebody that's like that, too. Now, when I say that, don't misunderstand me. I'm not judging people like Paul said not to do about food and drink here. I'm making a point, though, that we can spiritually take in less nutritious things and not focus on substantial spiritual food that we have in Christ and fellowship with the church and become dependent on things that have no value spiritually and have no nutrition spiritually. Don't do that. That's a shadow of things. I don't know if you ever enjoyed the story of Peter Pan. I always did growing up. And there, But there's that really weird part that I never could quite figure out. Where, well, there's a lot of strange things in that story. But one was how in the world Peter's shadow got away from him. How can I how can anybody be chasing their shadow and it be running from them? And then then the, the solution to that, remember, is as he came into the nursery and Wendy and the boys are there, is that somehow the shadow got caught up in something and he was able to grab it, but it took Wendy with her sewing needle to kind of sew it back on. And I'm like, how does that work? You know, as a kid, I, I could never quite figure that out. Did you guys ever wonder about that? Never do? I guess it was just me. Well, ultimately, the point is on stories like that, you're not supposed to think that deeply. It happened, she did it, and it worked out. You're not supposed to think that deeply about things because in the end, if you do, it just gets kind of silly. It really is a silly. Well, folks, when 
God's people were being distracted by these shadows and thinking that maybe they needed to add some of these things to their own spiritual life in Christ. Really, weren't they doing the same thing? Trying to sew on a shadow somehow to the wonderful life that they already had in Christ? You know, adults can be silly too. And Paul's saying here, don't be silly. You got everything you need. Don't fall prey to these things, right? They're inferior. These shadows and these customs and things are inferior to our life in Christ. But they also weaken our dependence on Christ. Quickly look at verses 18 through 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Really, you could say false humility. In other words, these people put on a good front. They look really humble. They look like really good people. And you need to be humble like me and follow after all these um, different uh, rituals that I follow through, which includes worship of angels and going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by their or his sensuous mind. It's interesting um, that, that let's go back to that word at the beginning of verse 18, disqualify you. That really is a Greek word that can have the meaning of a referee's call in a sporting competition. Really, Paul, you could you could kind of describe what Paul's saying like this. Don't let these charlatans throw the red flag on you with their convincing arguments saying that you've done wrong by not doing these things when that's not the truth at all. Don't let them place qualifications on you that you don't have to follow. Don't let them do that. They may seem really sincere and humble, but as they talk about their worship of angels, remember that's false worship they're proclaiming here. We don't want anything to do with false worship. He says um, they talk about all the visions that they've had. In reality, puffed up is a word for arrogance, and they're arrogant without reason by their sensuous minds. In their spiritual appearance, they're actually arrogant, even though they're acting humble. But they really, without reason, they lack any true spiritual wisdom at all. And they're fueled by their fleshly mindset. Remember what we said this morning, what Paul said, that true believers are cut off from the flesh. But Paul says these false teachers are totally operating in the flesh. So look out for them. Be careful of them. And what they're doing, and basically you could say they're not of the spiritual circumcision that we talked about this morning, even though they may be promoting that. They're really not true believers at all. Their minds are captivated. They're captive by the sensuous mind, by their fleshly mindset. And Paul says, here's the danger of them captivating you with these rules. That you don't, you lose your dependence on Jesus Christ as the head of the church, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Saying these false teachers are tempting you to gain sustenance from things that aren't nearly as spiritually nutritious, really that are not spiritually nutritious at all. They're basically trying to feed you sugar water, you know, whatever else is, is all sugar and no substance. 
that has little dietary value. He says they're trying to keep you away from your full source of nourishment, and that is your dependence upon your head, upon Jesus Christ. And that's the whole body needs to be depending upon Christ. So he's not just talking about the individuals. He's saying all of us, <clears throat> don't let these teachers take captive one of you because all of you need to be dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's where we're nourished. He uses the word there, knit together. That's how we grow stronger with our commitment to holding fast to the head. And that's dependence on Jesus. So folks, when we're tempted to seek our dependence upon something other than Christ, in reality, we can weaken the body. That's a big deal. We don't want to do that. Now, we'll stop there. And we'll just say an application here. I could make an altar call right now. And I could say, all of you that have been worshiping the moon the past couple months, and you've been observing the Sabbath as a means of, um, of dependence in your salvation, that, you have, that God expects you to obey the Sabbath. You know, there are some that obey a Christian Sabbath. Christians, it's kind of become a thing. And that's, that's not wrong, unless they make it mandatory. Uh, but that's beside the point. All of you who um, are following after festivals and are admonishing all the rest of us not to eat certain foods and not to drink certain things, you need to come forward and repent. I have a feeling if I gave that altar call, though, it wouldn't be very effective. So with that in mind, then, what is the applications that we can make? And here's just a few. We still have a few minutes here. Let me throw this out to you. Thank you. How do we apply this? How can we go from here and say, that's how God wants me to apply this to my life this week? Any thoughts? I gave you a little bit of warning. I've got a list here, so Pam, go ahead. Well, what comes to my mind is you know, if I'm so involved in personal care and things like that, and it's kind of a God, it is not part of worship, but it interferes with my my time with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not what you're looking for, but that's just what well, it's still a still distraction that um, interferes with our dependence upon Christ. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I. you made me think that in America, when you're talking about the food and the diet thing, don't let anybody be the umpire, basically, in your life about those things. Mm -hmm. In America, it just, you know, it just seems like there is one group that is allowed to be the umpire and get away with it. And I think us Christians need to be <coughs> careful with how we filter information from that group about those sorts of things. Because often, you know, the group gets put on a pedestal and we sort of lose that consumer mindset. We just think that they are all knowing and all you know, they only have our best interest in that they're not human. We mm -hmm. forget that they are human. Um, so, you know, I'm talking about, you know, somebody with an MD or a DO at the end of their name. Um, so I just think 
you know, that is the one group in America that gets um, a pass, especially I think from our own Christian community to have a, a little more um, unfiltered input, I guess you could say. And so we kind of want to be careful about that. And, um, you know, it sometimes the things that they may be recommending is worse for poor <laughs> Yes, yeah. yeah, and that was one of the things actually on my list, and, and, and I'll just, I'll sum that up, what Lori's saying, in, in a political sense, without trying to get too political, in, in is, as our culture continues to break down and our society breaks down, there's more of this wedding with ever more, even more than ever, of politics and even medical decisions and things, which should never be together, and all these things come together and there's more of an oppression that says not you should consider doing this, but you know what I'm talking about. You almost must do this, impressing things upon us, maybe kind of like what we're talking about here, passing judgment on us. And folks, we have to be careful with that even, that everything that we're, that, that we're told needs to happen and needs to be done, even in our personal lives, are we filtering that through a biblical filter? Uh, everything that, that even our leaders and politicians say, you're a really good person if you do this. Well, does God agree with that? And if if I'm being told that I have to do something and I just go along like, like sheep, they're not my shepherd. I have one shepherd and he's Jesus Christ. He's the one that ultimately I check with and make sure. So we have to be careful. I think politics is a good example of this because we're continuing to we're continuing to be told that this, if you're a good person, this is what you'll do, and this is what you'll do, and this is what you do. And a lot of times, those those lists, those moral lists, don't match up with scripture at all. And we have to be bold enough to continue to put those aside, not let people condemn us, but at the same time, pray, Lord. How can I balance this with also my need to obey the authorities that you've given me? And God will give us wisdom on those things. But I think that's one of, that's one of the categories we have to be careful of. Um, do we have some cults and religions in our country, in our world today, that tie themselves to Christianity, but would have some of these aspects in them, even angel worship? How about the Church of the Latter-day Saints? Uh, the Mormons have a definite interest in angels. Uh, Joseph Smith himself said that on the night of December, September 21st, 1823, that an angel named Morani, Morani, they probably offended, I think I just mispronounced Morani. it. Morani, Morani, thank you. But it's interesting that Joseph Smith in his later writings got the name wrong and he referred to it as Nephi. So we don't know for sure if it's Morani or Nephi. Um, there's a discrepancy there. But this angel appeared to him and told him about golden plates that were buried in a stone box a few miles from his home. And he dug those up, and he was able, through the power of the angels, to translate those. We have the Book of the Mormon today. You know, also that Mormons, um, they would describe this differently, but um, they do believe that human beings can become angels. And they have an inordinate focus and really almost a worship and an awe of angels and they certainly debase they 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 weaken who Christ is 
And they certainly don't believe in him as far as um, superiority above all. But the fact that we can be almost equal to Christ. Well, there's a belief that, that even Christians kind of get. So, and and we, some of us may know of people who were professed believers. And now they're following after the Mormons. That is certainly a direct application. Paul would warn us about those today. Don't you be attracted by that cult. Jehovah's Witness believed by a number of scriptural proofs that Christ himself is an angel, maybe the highest ranking ones, one of the highest ranking ones, but they, again, demote Christ to the status of an angel, which really elevates the status of angels. And again, you have another cult that is fixated with that. Let's talk about rituals. Catholicism certainly is a religion ruled by ritual that places ritual um, right up there with salvation, that you must do these things really to um, have a true relationship with Christ. I mean, that's one of the easy ones, right? But as we think through, there's actually a lot of stuff out there that relates to what Paul's warning us about here, right? Go ahead. Could um, infant baptism fall into this area? Um, that's, that's a tough one because it's not... It, it depends on who you talk to within the discipline. I don't think that those that fall prey to that are necessarily thinking they're adding it to salvation, but the way that they describe it, you get nervous, right? So I think that there is, like we talked about this morning, there's a fixation with baptism, and we saw from that, that Paul was using that picture of baptism as imagery. But he was certainly not using it as a qualification for salvation. And that these those can get really mixed up. I, <clears throat> I thought about this. Um, I have in my possession a Bible that was given to me after my grandfather, my mom's dad, passed away many years ago. Uh, my mom had this, and she handed it over to me. It was a nice big Bible. Um, huge Bible. And it has the letters... Uh, Masonic Temple Bible, right, or something like that. Now, this is something that part of the Freemasons, um, sorry, <laughs> distraction. If you know anything about the Freemasons, that was a thing and still is, but I think especially in history, that a lot of Christians were involved with. Both of my grandfathers were involved in that. My grandpa Maudsley, when he got saved, was so convicted that he removed himself from the membership rules, and he never went back to that. But my grandpa Deering had this Bible. Um, let me just give you a few things that the Masons believe. Uh, the God of, they, they say that they believe in the God of the Bible, but they actually imply that he's inferior to the God of Masonry, who is a boundless, eternal, universal, undenominational, and international divine spirit. And that the God of the Bible is somehow inferior to this Masonic version of the Supreme Being. And that some of our focus on God actually violates Masonic principles in their belief in a specific kind of, in our belief of a specific Supreme Deity. They are much more open to all kinds of religions. Of course, they would have to be. And that somehow, through all these religions, we all find the one God uh, of, the, of the Masons, the God of Masonry, they say. 
They also are involved in a lot of pagan rituals. Uh, there is a first ritual that the Masonic symbol of the lamb skin or white leather apron is explained that the lamb has in all ages been deemed an emblem, emblem of innocence. Therefore, he who wears the lamb skin as a badge of masonry is therefore continually reminded of the purity of life and conduct. And so here you have something that is being worn that is a requirement to help somebody become more pure. And when you think about it that way, it's all of a sudden, wow, that kind of fits the same thing that Paul is concerned about from the Masons. Sometimes we think that they're not so bad, you know, they do a lot of help, but folks in actuality, their God is a different God. They, they connect and combine themselves with certain aspects of Christianity but they include paganism, and they really don't worship the true God at all, even with their emblem on the cover of my grandfather's Bible. It's a different God entirely. We could go on and on, I think. The more you think about it, the more we realize, you know what? In our world today, we need to be careful. We need to be observant and careful. Because there's all kinds of strange things that want us to want our allegiance to their version of God, and they have their own rules and requirements for how to become a better person. And Paul says no to all of that. You depend on Christ. And he is fully sufficient. He is where we get our spiritual nourishment. He's all we need. Don't get distracted by all the other strange things out there. Focus on Christ. Lord, thank you for this warning. Even as we think about these strange, and Lord, we know I, I could have gone on with a lot more in my list. Things in our culture that really do kind of reflect what Paul was talking about here, right down to the worship of angels, following and wearing certain things and not drinking and eating certain things um, for a look or a resemblance of spirituality. And we're reminded that these are shadows. They are nothing. They provide no spiritual nourishment at all. Lord, this week, help us not to be captivated, even by politics and all these things. Help us to be captivated by Christ. And to run to him. And depend upon him as our head for all of our nourishment. Let us look to him and to your word as the sole provider of our spiritual nourishment. Help us not to get distracted so that we're weakened in our ministry mission. Help us to take this seriously, Paul's warnings, and to committedly, faithfully follow after our head, Jesus Christ. We need your help for that. We pray that you'll help us to do that. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.